I'm Evan Knappen, and welcome to Gun Lawyer. So, you know, in the news, I've been seeing a lot of this, and it just keeps on coming. I, I always see the, 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 the actual systemic racism in gun control. Now, you hear, you know, normally the folks that are anti-gun like to talk about racism and how racist everybody is and all this. But yet, yet you know, in my uh, experience, I've actually seen it and experienced it with clients and in my study of, uh, of the gun laws, I, I found how the history... Uh, of of gun law is really uh, founded upon uh, racism and how what's needed to be done today to correct this it doesn't seem like anyone's willing to do it and maybe it's yeah it's like maybe because of a lack of knowledge but I would like to try to address that because I think this is really something that people should pay attention to and it may be able to cross trestle, as they say. It may be able to get something done that's pro-gun, even though the normal folks that you think might be against anything that's pro-gun might see the greater issue here of addressing the uh, inequality and the built-in racism that comes with uh, gun control laws, and let me tell you, you know, my experience here, it's, um, it, it, I've had some famous cases that made national news that really highlighted and illustrated uh, this, um, such as the famous uh, Shanine Allen case, which is definitely a major turning point in people getting the understanding, the recognition of how there is a racist undercurrent, an element that exists in this enforcement. Let me tell you about Shanine. Uh, she was, uh, this back in 2014, and she was um, at the time a single black mom, hardworking, worked in the, the medical field, and she had been robbed a couple times, and she lived in South Philly, and tough neighborhood, but she was a 100% law-abiding citizen, and she was able to procure a carry license from the city of Philadelphia, which is uh, actually in and of itself. I mean, it's more difficult to get a license in the city than in the state, even though it shouldn't be, but it is. And yet she uh, had gotten her license, but the funny thing is she wasn't... Um, like a gun person, you know, she's like gun activist or, you know, the way uh, a lot of us are where we, we love guns, we live for guns, we love to shoot and hunt and collect and everything about guns. Nope, she just, like, wanted a gun to protect herself. End of story, which is fine. And she was trying to do it the right way. And she went and got training and she got her license and she was obeying the law as a law-abiding citizen. You see, and one day she's, driving from Pennsylvania into New Jersey. And as she's driving into New Jersey, she's heading down to Atlantic City with her young kids who are with her because they're going to have a birthday party there. And, you know, Atlantic City offers special 
room deals and all. So it's fun just to get away with the kids, get a really bargain room there and have a great birthday party and go to the, you know, the amusement games and the boardwalk and all this stuff, right? And it was a good idea. So she takes off and she's driving down and she gets pulled over in Atlantic County heading to Atlantic City. Now, of course, you know, the reason for being pulled over, you know, uh, uh, typical of the minor traffic allegation, not staying within lines or this kind of thing. And, 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 you know, often you say, is this simply a pretext, simply a pretext for what is often called DWB, driving while black. And it could be, uh, it's very hard to say with specificity because what, how do you prove that? But you know, this undercurrent is there, right? It's, it's still there. And, and yet, here she is, single black woman, and when she's pulled over, she has her ID, driver's license, and says, oh, and by the way, I have a handgun and I have a carry license. Why? Because she was told that if you're stopped, make sure the officer knows that you have a gun so they don't get afraid and you don't get shot. And so she's following what she was told, right? And, and it makes sense because the last thing that she needs is for the officer to think that she is some person out to do harm to him and we understand officer safety and we can appreciate that so she tells him but the problem is in new jersey you see new jersey doesn't honor any other state's carry license not a single one and even though right next door right over the border she has official license legal has her gun in a purse legal if it was just over the border in new jersey it didn't amount to hill of beans so what happens she's arrested and charged with unlawful possession of her handgun that is licensed and registered to her and she was doing nothing wrong and simply volunteered that she had it even didn't matter what was she facing now for this oh well new jersey is insane draconian out of its mind on its gun possession charges she was facing up to 10 years in state's prison folks a minimum mandatory three and a half years with no chance of parole. That's right. If she was convicted, the best sentence a judge could give her, the best, would have a component of three and a half years without any chance of parole, which she would do every day of three and a half years, every day of it. So she is in jail being held on the charge, and I don't even know about it. She hasn't called me. She's in there, and she has a public defender and they're trying to do their best job i guess for her. but it ends up about nine months or so into the case you know she calls me and she's desperate in a way because the best offer the best offer that the state would give her to resolve this matter someone with no prior offenses law-abiding citizen licensed legal did nothing wrong their best offer was seven years in state's prison with a minimum mandatory three and a half years for this, with not a single aggravating factor whatsoever. Didn't matter. And she was, yeah, and she'd been in jail for about 40 days, even with this. And, and while she was in jail, by the way, I, I, at some point later, funny, I asked her, I said, How did you find out about me? And she said, Well, you know, um, because she wasn't a gun person. She said, I, 
I was, I was talking to one of the prostitutes in jail who said that I had represented one of their clients and saved them and that I should call this guy. So she did, you know, I get some of my best clients from referrals from prostitutes in jail, apparently. But hey, she called and we were able to battle this and fight it. And, uh, and it worked out where, uh, you know, the whole, there was like this whole movement behind to save Shanine. And it was a huge battle and a huge fight because we wanted to keep her out of jail, not become a convicted felon, not lose her career, not have her hopes and dreams destroyed, her family life destroyed, everything all about because New Jersey's insane gun law, this draconian provision and this mandatory minimum. Outrageous. Outrageous. And so with enough effort and protest and the court of public opinion and all this coming into play. I mean, at some point there were billboards all around Atlantic County, you know, save Shanine. And it got so bad that one day I went in on a motion day and the prosecutors there, one of the assistant prosecutors, she had this big investigator with her. I said, well, what do you have your investigator? Today's just motion day. There's no witnesses. Oh, no. All of us have to have arms protection while you're in court. Yes, because they were getting that much hate and disgust from the public over what they were doing. And so this was during the Christie administration. And so we went through, and Christie's administration took note of this. And we wanted to get Shanine into what was called PTI, pretrial intervention, where if she did a period of supervisory treatment, the charges would be dropped, and she wouldn't have a conviction, and she wouldn't go to jail. And this was a perfect vehicle to handle an honest mistake and that's what this was an honest mistake but they're like oh no we can't put gun cases into the pti and all that well the attorney general did a full study quickly a study of the whole situation and determined that the guidelines should allow it and he promulgated these guidelines are called the heartland guidelines now that would allow someone in shanine allen's situation to get into pti and they couldn't put her in fast enough at that point because at that point, once it, they were like, get her out of here. And and the thing is, and I, and I at the time, this was just startling to me, the attorney general actually said that in his studies and surveys and all, his, uh, his issuance of these guidelines would help over 100 pending cases. Can you believe there are over 100, right at that moment, over 100 pending cases of over 100 people suffering this idiotic and ridiculous law where they couldn't even get into a diversion program. And he helped. And so Shanine was the tip of the spear, breaking the ceiling, allowing for this to happen, and helping hundreds of folks and have helped them ever since from her valiant fight. And because of that, and Christie's interest in her, even though she was immediately put into PTI and admitted in, Governor Christie pardoned her, even though she had set this, even gave her a pardon. She didn't even have to complete PTI, which was great. So I'm glad that you know justice was served and we were able to help her and get the justice, but this is still out there and people still to this day are getting 
charged because they don't realize that New Jersey doesn't recognize their licenses from other states. It's still bad, and it's hurting good people. And there's a focus that seems to have an undercurrent of race, folks. For over 30 years, attorney Evan Knappen has seen what rotten laws do to good people. That's why he's dedicated his life to fighting for the rights of America's gun owners. A fearsome courtroom litigator fighting for rights, justice, and freedom. An unrelenting gun rights spokesman tearing away at anti-gun propaganda to expose the truth. Author of six best-selling books on gun rights, including Knappen on Gun Law, a bright orange gun law Bible that sits atop the desk of virtually every lawyer, police chief, firearms dealer, and savvy gun owner. That's what made Evan Knappen America's gun lawyer. Gun laws are designed to make you a criminal. Don't become the innocent victim of a vicious anti-gun legal system. This is the guy you want on your side. Keep his name and number in your wallet and hope you never have to use it. But if you live, work, or travel with a firearm, the deck is already stacked against you. You can find him on the web at evannappen.com or follow the link on the Gun Lawyer resource page. Evan Knappen, America's Gun Lawyer. You're listening to Gun Lawyer with attorney Evan Knappen. Available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I am a lawyer. I am a lawyer. Hey, so, so this, this issue of blacks and guns and, and racism and guns, you know, it goes back to the earliest gun laws in the country. I, I was researching just in New Jersey to find the what were the first gun laws in New Jersey, the very first ones. And guess what? They banned blacks and Native Americans from having guns. That was the earliest ones, even back in the colonial days. That's who was prohibited. I mean, this is... You know, the racism in guns, in the history of our country, you see it repeated over and over. In, in, In the Civil War, after the Civil War, the newly freed blacks, the South passed the Jim Crow laws and what have you, and they and what they did was they passed laws that targeted blacks without uh, saying straight out, Blacks can't have guns. This is a technique. And well, for example, they made it so that you could only possess under law the expensive military models of handguns, the military models. Now, of course, the returning white officers all had military model handguns, and they could but but the poor blacks newly freed, they didn't have expensive Colt navies and Colt armies and Remington armies and all they didn't have that so this way they so in effect the earliest Saturday night special laws were really laws designed to stop blacks from having guns and even later the Saturday night special laws were rooted in that and I'm going to talk about that in one second because I want to back up for one minute because prior to the Civil War one of the famous Supreme Court cases was what? Dred Scott decision. 
And in Dred Scott, where you had the the black uh, slave who is now fighting for his rights, and Justice Tawney, right, a Supreme Court judge, said, no, 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 can't have it. And one of the reasons in his reasoning was, well, then, then this black, newly free black, this runaway slave, et cetera, this could have guns under the Second Amendment. And we can't have blacks having guns, right? So even that, you can find the racism right there in the Dred Scott decision itself. And then again, like I said, after the Civil War, you had the, the black codes. And then we get into the 60s and the, the idea of banning Saturday night specials. You don't hear the term too much these days about Saturday night specials. And the reason is because the origin of the term has been documented. And the origin of the term Saturday night special is from the N-word town. N-word town Saturday nights. And that's what they called it. It was an N-word town Saturday night special. And the N-word got removed and they just started being called Saturday night specials. But what was the origin of that? Directly to racism of N-Town, man. It's an N-Town gun, you see? And this is documented. Bruce Briggs in his article uh, in the Public Interest uh, Journal, he, he researched and documented this. So you don't hear the term Saturday Night Special. Now you might hear, well, we have to stop junk guns, you know, junk guns. Well, it's still the same same thing, just different label, right? What are they talking about? So who who traditionally has... As, a, as at an economic disadvantage in the country. blacks, cheap guns, yeah, exactly. So it's cheap guns. But you tell me, just because you can't afford, you know, a custom nineteen eleven, you know, twenty five hundred dollar great race gun, you still have no right to defend yourself. Of course you do. Nah, but you know these, these junk guns. You know, and who? What are they really talking about? I mean, when you heard in the eighties, when you hear, hey, uh, you know, we uh, these assault firearms are the they're, they're, they're the choice of uh drug dealers it's a drug deal oh, oh really who are drug dealers like uh you know white guys on wall street in business suits uh, no that's not who they're talking about right who are they talking about again it's racism built in it's the term and throughout our history it's the idea of disarming blacks through these laws has always been the undercurrent of it and now what brings us to present is it's still ongoing. It still is, and I'll, and I'll show you right now where it is. I can point it directly. Not only is it in the harsh enforcement of laws like against Shanine Allen and the arbitrariness of that, but you see, there is a big differential in our in our society of those that are convicted felons and not. Do you know that? Blacks are six times more likely than whites to be convicted felons. And you know, that's a fact. And a lot of that has been brought out in various other efforts, by the way, to restore voting rights to felons, right? And they're saying, why? Because it's prejudicial against blacks, six to one. It's, it's, pre it's prejudicial against Hispanics at a ratio of two to one. 
Now, we all may say, well, look, they're felons, and who cares? But, you know, really, seriously, felons at a ratio of 6 to 1? Come on, what's going on there? Right? You know. And, and a matter of fact, our own government, our own government, brought a lawsuit in the, it's a BMW and Dollar General lawsuit. This was an employment lawsuit alleging unfairness and discrimination in employment practice. And what did they say? They said, you know, folks would apply at Dollar General or BMW and they'd be all set to hire them, hire them, and they just had to do their background check and would come up with a felony conviction. Oh, sorry, we can't hire you. And our government order argued that is discrimination because now you simply won't hire someone because of that, then you're discriminating at a basis of six to one. Well, if we're discriminating on a basis of six to one on having a job, how about a constitutional right to keep and bear arms being discriminated against at a ratio of six to one. And how come when you go to buy a gun on the 4473, it asks what your race is? Why do we need that? Look, a photo ID is required. Why is race even an issue? It's not like you it's an affirmative action gun application. No. What is this? And and then it gets worse even for Hispanics. There's an extra question for Hispanics. Are you Hispanic, you know, Hispanic, yes or no? You have to either admit or deny Hispanic heritage. Could you imagine if it said, are you Jewish, yes or no? Would we be cool with that? We'd be like, oh, that's all right. I just want to know. I mean, come on. It's racism, man. It's racism. And with a photo ID, none of that's necessary. But it's deeper than that, too. Because federal law prohibits convicted felons from having guns. Now, we could argue about the logic of that. Maybe they should, at least violent felons and all that. But, you know, even if we look at, you know, the old idea of the Western mentality, you know, bad guys can be good guys and good guys can be bad guys and people can change. So simply because you have a felony conviction, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a felon again, right? But whatever reason we've got to this thing where we accept, no guns for felons, okay, even if you want that position, okay. But what you need is an ability for an individual to be relieved of their disqualification. They need an ability for someone to get a relief from the disability, a restoration of their rights. Because even if you are a convicted felon, but you've now been a law-abiding citizen, you've made something of yourself, you're no longer a threat or danger or problem, yet you still can't exercise your Second Amendment rights, you know there's a federal law that is on the books right now that allows and permits what's called the relief from disabilities so that you can regain federal rights if you are a convicted felon. It's on the books. It was passed when the felon prohibitions went in, and it's there so you can get a restoration except for one thing, one problem, folks, and that is that that program is not funded anymore by the U.S. government. It's not funded thanks to Charles Schumer, the Democrat, who in 1992 put forward the amendment to end the funding that allows for relief for disabilities. 
thereby prohibiting blacks particularly now at a ratio of six to one that are honest, hardworking, law-abiding, rehabilitated black felons in a systemic racist system from getting their rights restored. And it's the Democrats that have done that. That's right. By removing the funding so that good people that have redeemed themselves in our society can get their rights back. And it has been unfunded since 1992. Think of how many blacks in a disproportionate ratio have been prohibited from law enforcement jobs, from serving in the military, from having security, from being able to protect their family because they refuse to fund this and allow them to regain their rights. Oh, they're happy to try to do it for voting. Oh, because they think they got them fooled, man. Give them the voting rights, they'll still vote Democrat. So we better do that. Really? Well, if it's good enough for voting, why isn't it good enough for guns? Let's see a rights restoration for real that can really help empower minorities in America and stop the systemic racism at six to one. It needs to be funded again. And here they pass these giant COVID relief packages and defense authorization packages and all this money going out even to foreign countries by the millions and billions, yet they can't fund a program to help Americans, they're Americans, folks, Americans get their rights restored. Come on. It's outrageous and it's political and it is systemically racist and it is the same old game from the idea of the Jim Crow laws to what the real name of Saturday Night Specials is to modern day. And this is how they sell it. And it's got to end. It's got to end so good people, at least good people, can get their rights back. And enough already. And maybe we could see this happen, by the way. Maybe we could because, you know, I think there are truly people on the other side who sincerely, sincerely don't like racism. Sincerely don't. And would want to see good people get their rights back, even though they might themselves be anti-gun. Are they anti-gun to the degree that they want to discriminate and put on unequal grounds minorities? Because that's what they're doing, right? Shouldn't it be where the greater good of fighting this built-in racism overcome their anti-gun agenda? I sure would think so. I sure would hope so. It needs to happen. And it's been long enough, folks, without this program being funded. And the courts have upheld, hey, if it's not funded, it's dead. Too bad. You can't do anything about it. If they don't fund it, you can't take advantage of this very law that's on the books as we speak that's supposed to allow you to get your rights back. It's time, and I hope we can see progress on this issue and restore fundamental fairness. Restore it so that everyone can reach the American dream and, and all exercise our rights. They're all our rights. All right. Well, let me tell you, 
if you can keep a fellow gun owner from becoming a law-abiding criminal, tell him to listen to Gun Lawyer Radio and visit our website at gun.lawyer. What I really love is if you take a look at our inner circle on our website at gun.lawyer. If you sign up for the inner circle, you're going to get the inside from me, from Evan Knappen. And I'll be giving you tricks and tips and insights and fun. Sign up. It's free. Go to gun.lawyer and join our inner circle. Remember, this helps us also communicate with you, our ability to, to touch base and and let you know what's going on. Because, you know, the, the big tech, they don't really care about our gun rights. They kind of don't like us, and they try to shut us down. And this is a way that we can stay in contact despite their efforts. And look, we're going to have big issues coming up, man. Executive orders, all kinds of nasty things. You're going to need to know what you're going to have to do to protect yourself and what, what loopholes there might be. And I'm going to fill you in on all that. You're going to want to know. How are you going to deal with the pistol brace reg if it comes down? How are you going to deal with executive order by Biden on gun transfers? How are you going to do this? I'll be happy to tell you. Join our inner circle and you'll be able to protect yourself and your rights. And uh, please subscribe and rate the show. Help me get the word out. I'm depending on you. This is Evan Knapp reminding you the gun laws don't protect honest citizens from criminals. They protect criminals from honest citizens. Gun Lawyer is a Counterthink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Reach us by emailing evan at gun.lawyer. The information and opinions in this broadcast do not constitute legal advice. Consult a licensed attorney in your state.